I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is comedian, writer and actor Reese James. Reese has appeared on shows including Mock the Week and Live at the Apollo for the BBC, Eleven-ish for ITV and Live at the Comedy Store and Roast Battle for Comedy Central. He also has had two of his own shows on BBC Radio 4 called Reese James Is and Reese James Isn't. Reese is a mainstay at the Edinburgh Fringe, having performed six solo shows there to critical acclaim, and he's currently touring his latest show, Snitch, across the country to sold-out audiences, while somehow also finding the time to release a brand new podcast, too, called Early Work. So, after all that blowing smoke up his ass, it's time to say hello to our almost famous guest today, Reese James, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Am uh, I supposed to react to the intro? Uh, we'll we'll get on to the intro, but first I have to do a little bit of business, as I know that you would call it, which is uh, it's kind of appreciation time. We're recording this from the <laughs> uh, podcast lounge at Factory Studios in central London, the perfect place for all of your podcast needs. Uh, do get in touch with them if you're looking for somewhere to make your podcast idea reality. Their website is factory.uk.com. I just need to get that into the intro uh, because it's important where you record a podcast, as you know very well. Sure. But also because I'm contractually obliged to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you're funding me. That's how you paid my fee. That's how I paid your... My 60 grand podcast guest appearance fee. And now that's why you don't hear me on any podcast. Now the audience know (laughs) how much it would cost for you to get Reese James on a podcast. I I was fortunate enough to get it for free on the basis. I I kind of imagine that I've given you some work before and you feel guilty. But you've given me some money in the past. I've given you some money in the past, (laughs) exactly. And what did you think of your intro, Reese? I like to ask guests. Some people are a bit sniffy. No, genuinely, it was probably the best podcast intro I've had. Really? Yeah, because just, you just basically listed everything. So it's like, <laughs> how can I complain about that? Did I miss so, anything out? I'm surprised to hear 11-ish get a mention. Uh, you got the names of the radio shows right, which not many people do. Uh, and then your podcast that you've just started called Early Work. I've listened to uh, an episode and a half of that. Lovely stuff. Very good. Pitch it out to the audience so they can, they can oh, find it's it. Just, uh, at the moment, it's just comedians, but it, we've recorded some others. It'll be like performers, all sorts of performers, um, coming on and reading out the things they wrote, the creative things they wrote when they were younger, before they're doing the thing they now professionally do. So, for example, Lolly Adafope wrote a load of fan fiction about a TV show called Everwood. Right. Um, ten chapters, and she put it on the internet, and she read us some of those. Uh, Tom Rosenthal hasn't come out yet this episode, but he it might have done by the time this comes out. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas, by the way. Tom Rosenthal uh, put he he made a load of raps for his cricket team. Like actually wow. made them. So he came on and played us the raps. Cricket and also teams and raps. Cricket never rap. Gone he together. invented cricket rap, and he came on and played those and. Um, 
what was great about that is he hadn't heard them. So someone just sent them to him and he said, oh, I'm not going to listen to them until the podcast. And as soon as they were playing, he remembered all the words and was like rapping along and he was really excited by it. And but to level the playing field, so the reason I did this podcast is because I've got an insane back catalogue of the most embarrassing shit that it's possible to write as a sort of teenager. So I also read one thing of mine each episode yeah. to kind of so that you're not too embarrassed. So you go, look, don't worry, I'm going to do it too. And then we grade each other. Yeah. I have to say, I so when I listened to the first one, uh, I really, uh, possibly with my kind of podcaster creation producer help, I was like, oh, I love the fact that you're grading them and I love the fact that you're reading one of your own at yeah. the end. And then with my kind of then, um, when I heard you, so I, I listened to the first episode with Rose Matafeo and I heard your poem from that. It was like, then I had my like, 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy who wanted so desperately to be really creative and impressive to girls hat on. And I was like, you and you and Rose were like slagging off your poem. I was like, I think that's a fucking brilliant poem. Well, to be I, fair, I just thought it was so good. To be fair, Rose actually said, that, that was so Rose was the pilot we did ages ago and it was just such, she was such a perfect guest. Yeah. She was the first person I wanted to be on it because I just knew she would have so much stuff. And she was a bit like me. So she wrote loads of nonsense. And she said... God, if you were at my school and read that out, I'd have fancied you so much. Yeah. And I was like, where were you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I did read this out at school and everyone was just like, oh, is that fucking dick? But you read it out to your drama group, yeah. didn't you? And yeah, I think, because the girl I, I loved was in my drama group. I'm not an idiot. Yeah, but I feel like it, you know, I'm... I'm what, you I, think I feel like because drama? they're all... Yeah, if you'd, I feel like if you'd read it out in school assembly, you'd eat, I mean, you'd have been riotously bullied by <laughs> yeah, all the boys, yeah, of course. Yeah. But there'd have been girls there who'd have been like, wow. But and in the that? drama group, all those girls are probably just like thinking about themselves anyway. Do you think? Is it because they're already a creative group so they're not yeah. impressed by that sort and, of thing? They'll, th they'll either be thinking, that's better than what I can do. I hate that because I'm jealous. Right. Or they'll be thinking uh, about, I'm um, you know, getting ready to read my Do you know, people, when people message me, it's not happened very often, but the few times people message me saying, oh, actually, whenever you read your stuff from a kid, it's actually really good. I lose a lot of respect for them. And <laughs> you're already quite low to begin with, Barnaby. So I don't know where we go from here. Uh, just to let the listener know, we do know each other before this. I haven't yes. just come into a podcast. Yes, I, I, did, I did the same. The, the exact thing happened at the end of last series when David Badil interviewed me and I did the intro and he said, um, what you're forgetting to tell them here is that we play football together. I don't want them to think that you've just approached me on the internet and I've accepted. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. Uh, the reason I used to work on a YouTube channel, a couple of YouTube channels, one called The Football Republic and then a, before that, a Spurs we're both Spurs fans uh, a Spurs fan channel called Spurred On and they were I was saying before the, it's hard to talk about because it was the best job ever for me um, just <laughs> just working being paid to work every day making content oh I said it I'm do you know that job it. actually was um, it made me I'd already done this but it made it possible for me to move to London to live in London that Spurs the initial Spurs yeah. job because the Spurs it was, regular, it was regular money it was a weekly thing yeah. and it was just like I'd already moved to London, but it would have been a bit more yeah. close. Successful. It would have been a bit more like, okay, well, yeah, a bit more uncut gems. Yeah. Um, whereas <laughs> this just made it much, much easier. I've not yet thought of you and uncut gems in the same uh, <laughs> in the same way. Uh, okay, so getting on to uh, Almost Famous. Uh, thank you for coming on, of course. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, the second series is a bit different. First series, we interviewed people who had grown up around uh, famous people. Is this because you ran out? It's uh, it's uh, it's evolving the format, Reese. Next oh. series three, you're interviewing my brother. <laughs> <laughs> my mum may well come on at some point. Um, the reality of that, though, it's a good question because the reality of that is um, people who have grown up around famous people find it very difficult to talk about, they, especially it, because I interviewed people who have tried to follow them into a similar industry. Mm. So the nepotism thing is a huge deal. So I approached loads of people, over 100 people to do that, and we got 10. But so many people just like, I don't want to be known as the daughter of. I don't wow. want to be known as... So uh, there is an element to that. 
But also... I uh, can't wait for <laughs> us to finish recording and you to tell me the other 90. <laughs> You've mentioned one. <laughs> oh, um, fantastic. Anyway, uh, so yeah, in the second series, we're going to talk about uh, fame a bit more directly. That's why I've invited you on. And I've, the first question I have for you that uh, you might find it easy to answer, but I think it's an interesting one to ask someone in the public eye. Are you famous, Reese James? World famous. <laughs> I'm a global superstar. That's why this is the most listened to podcast in the world right now. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, obviously not. You don't think? No. And Do you I'm, think you'll ever get to a point where you feel like you're famous though? Because I would say, arguably, you know, you've appeared how many times on Mock the Week? Thirteen. Uh, so many that you don't know for sure. I think it's thirteen. Right, which is a BBC One prime time. Yeah, it you must know, be thirteen, or or one of the you know the biggest, most well known, one of the biggest BBC most well known comedy shows. Yeah, yeah. Is it on BBC Two now? Yeah, it must have been on BBC One at some point. <laughs> you are. Why are you knows. talking down your own Who success, Reese? What are you doing? The comedian. This is what happens. Okay, so you you but you play. You're quite a high status comedian. Yeah. So on stage. Yeah, but the, it's a high status performance. Yeah, persona. But I lose the jokes. I lose in the jokes. Okay. And I don't realize is what tends to happen. Okay. It's not what always happens, but in a lot of the jokes, it's I'm being high status right. and I'm oblivious to the fact that I'm not winning these jokes and the audience are aware of that. So in real life, do you think your default setting is self-deprecation? No. I think I have taken that persona too far <laughs> and I now behave like it off stage as a joke and say things like I'm world famous yeah. so I would say that in conversation yeah. uh, and I have to be more wary about who I'm talking to because loads of people know me well enough to know I'm taking the piss and it's the sort of joke I do yeah. and there definitely are some people who've been around me when I've spoken like that and been like what a dick and I'm like yes I am a dick but that, I mean I'm taking the piss you don't say a phrase like I mean, if world well, famous people, people understand, I'm world famous. It's but. about people understanding your faux arrogance. It's a, it's a, fa yeah. It was, it's just like a little joke that I would do in certain situations. Not very often, to be honest. But you saved it. You saved it for this podcast. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's about fame. I don't know how to approach this. I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard do, to do you be find, Do you genuine. find the thought of me suggesting that you're famous? uncomfortable is it uh, yeah I mean I like to clarify that you invited me here I didn't say you got a podcast about famous people get me on it mate <laughs> I'm the perfect guest you said yeah. once again I've asked a hundred people there's just, ten that have replied <laughs> that sounded like family fortunes <laughs> yeah. just to clarify uh, I have I just to clarify for the audience who hopefully will listen to uh, many episodes I've asked everyone to come here N none of them have come up to me and said yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, like right. to come on yeah. your famous podcast uh, uh, I think I, I, th I just think famous Dirty word. We, well, we, no, I don't think it's a dirty word, but I just think it's you've got to be pretty, you've got to be a pretty big deal to be famous. Okay. But I would say I have reached a point where I am uh, recognised. Okay. Sometimes mm -hmm. enough, so I'll be recognised, but I'll, rec I'll be recognised in the way it's fifty. When when people stop me to recognise me, it's fifty percent. Are you Reese James? And fifty percent. Oh, you're that comedian. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're on the oh you're that comedian level, and often people will. They'll go, oh, it's, uh, and then they'll Google me and they'll show me a picture of me and say, is that you? I, don't, I mean, David <laughs> Beckham doesn't have people going, oh, and it used to have different hair. Yeah. Are you that? So That's interesting. What they, that's inter that they get their phone out. and So you, so you do know. Yeah. It's weird because you got the picture up. Yeah, that, happened, that happens quite a lot. It happened on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so Ten, um, how does it, nine. so as some, uh, 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 for normal people, normal people in, uh, you know, speech marks, um, they have never been, they've never had that scenario in their life. How does that feel when someone stops you on the street and recognizes you in some way? Uh, it doesn't really feel like anything, genuinely. I, there's no, I don't attach a feeling to it. It feels uncomfortable when it, it's, some people do it brilliantly okay. and will just 
immediately go, like they'll react, they'll see you react and go, are you that person that I've seen on that? Um, it feels like a yes, that's interesting to me because it feels like a yes, no answer. What do they then expect to come from that? Do they, you know, do they think they're going to start a conversation? I've well, kind of, yeah. So some people just go, you go, yes. And they go, oh, great. I've seen you on this. Or they then give an opinion mm. on you. And obviously mm. it's positive or they wouldn't have brought it up. Um, sometimes they don't give an opinion. They, and people just basically just want a selfie, don't they? So they'll just go, right. oh, can I okay. take a selfie or whatever? But they, the uncomfortable thing is when you can see someone trying to place you for ages and it's just, that means they're just staring people don't realize when they're doing that they're just staring at you not blinking for ages and it does make you feel quite intimidated sometimes so like on the tube for example if someone opposite you is going oh how do i know they'll just be looking at you the whole then you'd just be like i um, am i going to be murdered here and then you do, like that's happened enough times that you then start to go a bit insane in your head and go oh they pl probably bloody recognize me and then in the end they're just like they lean over and go Sorry, but you actually sat in the priority seat and there is a pregnant woman over there. <laughs> I go, yeah, we can get a selfie. Yeah, yeah. So I've got noise-canceling headphones in. Do you want a selfie? Um, but it, so, this doesn't happen that often. I'm not saying no. it like, oh God, every time I get on the bloody tube or whatever. This but is just... if it did happen often, I think you might say that anyway. Based but it doesn't. On, I got but the... based on your self-deprecating I'm not famous nature. because I just, I just came, I just was on a journey here and <laughs> on a journey about being famous, well, to a podcast about being famous where not, not a single person was like, excuse me. Are you, but also... Potentially, I guess, if you were a level of fame, a level of famous that you're kind of alluding to, then maybe you wouldn't get the tube anyway anymore. Exactly. That's why there's like comedians get a, there's a lot of comedians who get a moped after a certain amount of times. So they can zip to gigs in London because they can't, can't get on a bloody tube anymore. I wasn't really thinking about the moped comedian that I'm now thinking about. Thinking I was about thinking, the chauffeur driven. I'm thinking more of like at the very least an Uber, maybe even an Uber. Oh, I just remember when Rob Beckett was like, I can't get the tube anymore. I mean, he's got a very distinctive face. Um, can't get the tube anymore and he got on a moped to go to gigs in London now he's beyond that yeah. obviously but uh, so Rob Beckett as an example is famous in your eyes yeah. yeah Rob Beckett's famous I think Rob Beckett's famous because he has he's gone on to now do Saturday night primetime BBC family sh quiz sh game shows Rob That's Beckett is as close thing. as you can get now to <sighs> comedy's changed so much that to become a household name is an absolutely insane thing now because there's so many comedians mm -hmm. and the existing household names don't really move on. So there's only so, do you know what I mean? So there's only so much space mm -hmm. in people's minds. And Rob Beckett is basically a household, I mean, he's as close as you can get to a household name. Him and Ramesh are sort of the only ones from a certain generation who've got to reach that point, I think. I think. In this country. I think it's a really interesting question uh, that we're going into about what, you know, how successful do you have to be to be famous? What is fame now? Because also, yeah, like you said, the ones who were successful, you know, let's say 20 years ago when satellite television was just starting, so all of them, you know, having many more channels, more TV being needed to be made, etc. There, a lot of them are still are still in. Mm. And yeah, there's this kind of almost like queue of newer people trying to take their places. But yeah, it's hard to break through. But I think, I still feel like some of those old scenarios are still the same as to how you get to that level of fame, which is to me... You know, are you crossing into family television territory yeah. where people are all seven watching together Saturday, Saturday night, night host. seven o'clock? You get you've got to be a host. So that brings me to a natural question, which is: Is anything like that something that would interest you going forward? Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, I I think it'd be weird now. Down the line, I I don't. I think there's certain skills I have that lend themselves to that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, such as. 
I'm not suggesting you don't have them. I'm just interested to know. <laughs> what. Well, there are presenting is a craft, but it can't, but it's a craft that comes naturally to some people. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it comes naturally to me, but I think more than a lot of comedians who you can sort of go, oh, you're a comedian and you, you have to be on that stage doing that. Uh, there are other things that really don't help me in that. Like I'm not a personality comedian at all. I'm a writer comedian. Um, and I don't mean that as any kind of slight. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's a hindrance. I don't think you get, you don't get big, big as a writer comedian. You don't tend to. Okay. The the personality led comics are the ones who make it enormous, who f sort yeah. of arena fillers. Yeah, and I'm not one of them. So I, I I'm so I, I wouldn't well, be described you're not one as, of them yet. I, no, I wouldn't be described as a personality in any part of my life because I'm not. That, that's not that's not what I'm like. Well, you, but I would argue that you're you may not be. Um, weirdly, just because I just watched the documentary. The person I'm thinking of is Michael Barrymore, right? I just watched Barrymore cool, Body not, in the Pool, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so he I'm wasn't Barrymore. A, he wasn't a stand-up comedian. And I'm going to have to live with that. He wasn't a stand-up comedian, but for you know two decades, he was the biggest name on television in this country because of his personality only. Yeah. So you know, my kind of people, Strike It Lucky, all of those shows where he would literally his stick was just talking to people like he was their best friend or was you know in the pub with them or down the you know met them on the street. So. Arguably, I'd say that may not be your thing, but you still have a personality, a distinct, unique personality that lends itself to being funny all the time. It's not, you can't... But I'm all in the prep. So, a Saturday night show yeah, where you have... anything for this and you've been funny on at least nine occasions already. <laughs> I think that's generous, actually. Um, you're going to have to put some stuff from later on in the edit before <laughs> yeah, this now. That's not going to happen. Yeah, but it's but it, that's a that's it's not mainstream. No offense. <laughs> this isn't a main. This isn't for this is. You couldn't put this on no. at seven pm on a Saturday night and expect no. families to get involved. I think there's things that play into my strengths that I I'm relatively quick. Yeah. Um. On on occasion, <laughs> I think when it's on, when you switch it on, I can be relatively quick. So that helps. But it's just stylistically, I'm just like I don't. But down the line, yeah. In a there's there, certainly people who are in my camp of things, yeah. or I'm in their camp of things, who have gone on to do this sort of thing. But it just wouldn't be as natural as it is to some other people. So Rob Beckett's a perfect example of someone who's just fucking absolutely perfect for that sort yeah. of thing. He's so quick, but in a certain way that's just so accessible. And he just draws people in. Yeah. He's so distinctive. You know what he's going to think about everything because he's got this sort of character. But the character is him. Yeah, he's not I was going to say, anything. it's, so, so that's it's where, so authentic. Yeah, totally. And that's where the difference is uh, b between having a persona that you work with on stage and just your onstage stage being you yeah. and that's right and I've you know he, I've, he's driven me back from gigs before and I've you know I did open mic at the same time as him and he is you're absolutely right totally who he's, he is yeah he was, he's um, not changed so going back to that original question then and you saying it is something potentially that would interest you do you think um, your ambition as a performer is linked in any way to fame or do you think you're just interested in success and say for instance the financial side of that would bring you the comfort the safety it's a really difficult question to answer that because it's hard to separate them at all because you can't think of success in this career without thinking of fame, mm. really. I mean, yes, you can be successful without being famous, but there's, that's, there's a ceiling on that. So really the most successful ones are the famous ones. So it's hard to go back. I'd have to go back to before I started and go, what was I actually looking for here? Mm -hmm. And it would be, I think comedians are idealistic. A lot of comedians say when they're not in a podcast format where you're encouraged to be as honest as possible, would say, no, I just want to be successful and fame is a byproduct of that. I think that's a little bit bullshit. 
I think it's a little bit bollocks. Yes, really, I'm a, I'm about the work. So I wouldn't want to be famous for the sake of being famous. Like I say, I'm not Love a personality. Island. I wouldn't want to be an influencer. No. Who, because then there's no product. So then when it's going, oh, loads of people seem to really like you. There's a million people now who follow you and like you and want something from you. And you go, well, what? What can I give them? I don't have a skill. I'm not saying they're not skilled, but they, I don't have a thing that they know me for that they're expecting now. Ironically, they might argue that their personality is what they're offering. But then to do what? Mm. So what can they provide? Mm. What content? I mean, content is such a... That is a dirty word. What can and they we've say? we've said it twice between us So now. they can go, a book, they go, what, well, here's a book. But you go, well, you can just do an autobiography and then you could like, oh, fine, you can have a TV show where it's just camera crew follow you around and it's reality again. Yeah. It's like, fine, that's great, but that's not what I... I'm looking for and I'm not the sort of person who'd be capable of that anyway. So it's all, it is all about the work. So the thing I yeah. love is the work, but I do want to be recognized for it. Recognized in the appreciation sense, yeah. not in the, are you mm-hmm. that comedian? Here's your Wikipedia page that you created if we go back through it. No, um, not true. <laughs> not true. Can't stress enough. But I did court for a Wikipedia page by doing stand-up about not having one. And one appeared pretty much immediately. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's it's, there's a bit of both, but uh, now certainly maybe because I started as a teenager, so maybe it was I wanted to be a comedian. I loved comedy. I wanted to be a comedian more than anything in the world. Hmm. Getting laughs obviously is the best possible feeling. Um, so yes, I wanted to be a comedian, but yes, I wanted to be famous. I I, I must have seen the yeah the benefits of being famous and been like, oh god, wouldn't that be great? Um, yeah, because I read an interview. I read in some of the interviews some of the comedians you were influenced by: Jimmy Carr, Russell Brand, Dimitri Martin, Jack Whitehall was a big one you talked about when you were young. Mm. Uh, I'd say they are, especially Jack actually and Russell. I'd say they are in my head comedians who were very keen to exploit fame as but well. But doesn't that list of four show you how balanced it is? Because the other two are writers. Dimitri's the complete opposite. The other Jimmy's. two are complete writers. Yeah. Jimmy Carr now is a bit famous. Jimmy, bit so Jimmy, Jimmy is a writer. So Jimmy, I, I could see all about the prep. He can only perform when he's, you know, he's a one-liner comic, whatever. But then broke into presenting and became the presenter. Yeah, so maybe presenter. that's what I mean. Maybe, it, yeah, maybe that's I could what... totally see you presenting shows that Jimmy Carr presents, for instance. Those yeah, kind so of Jimmy, shows. but Jimmy, yeah, it's weird because he's done it in a way. It's like, I suppose it's not really. It's not the sort of show I'm thinking of when I talk about a 7pm Saturday night family no, show. But he obviously, he absolutely could host one of them. Easily yeah. could host one of them. Now, because he's such a household name and is so quick and would just know how to play it. Yeah. But he didn't get known. He could, but I can't imagine him ever. He didn't get known for hosting that. that. But yes, I... He needs that, you know, he needs, I think, he needs probably, you know, I don't want to... I'm, talk, I'm imagining myself if I were Jimmy Carr, right? But I think he needs those shows where it's an opening monologue where he can get some of the kind of gags that he does naturally anyway in mm. and then being able to go quick banter and take the piss out of some of the guests. I can't... It, if he did a straight show, a straight, you know, primetime game show on a, on a you know, big terrestrial channel, then I think he'd feel like he was just a body. Do you know what I mean? Like he wouldn't Maybe, have, but he's really... He's so quick. I think yeah. he'd be fine with... He'd be Is able. It, I'm not saying he wouldn't be able. I yeah, just don't yeah, know sure. it would satisfy If he'd him. like it, yeah. I don't Well, who's to know? But that list is a good example of there's there's two comics you maybe associate with fame. Although at the time when I was influenced by Jack Whitehall, he was very writery. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he became what he is now, which is this enormous megastar. But at the time, and to be honest, my influence from Jack Whitehall was mainly just he is young. You can do this young. So mm. now I will start instead of waiting till I'm old. Yeah. Um, Russell Brand, certainly, though, that was at the height of his fame. Hair up. Dressed like a pirate, big brother's big mouth. Yeah, with his stick, stick microphone. Yeah, stick mic going around. 
pulled down my trousers and pants, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Pre-Saxgate, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I love that radio show and I continued to love him after Saxgate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to be honest. But um, yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting balance to me. I've never seen them in a list together like that. Yeah. Um, should say, so we're, we're recording this on the Monday uh, just after the weekend where uh, Caroline Black committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I feel like uh, and it, and it's being shown by the kind of outpouring of grief and uh, the uh, petition that's being signed about how uh, people in the public eye are being treated on social media and by particularly by the tabloid press. Um, I feel like it's important thing to talk to people uh, in this forum and ask them, especially now you said, you know, potentially uh, you may not see yourself as famous now, even though I would argue that you are, but you would be keen, I think, to get a, a higher level of um uh, exposure going forward potentially how do you feel you would deal with some of the negatives that that is unlikely uh, that that is undoubtedly going to throw your way quite poorly not very not particularly good at that sort of thing mm. um i tr- you try and there's all these phrases you try and get in your head with stuff like uh you kind of learn for through other people who've been through this that you have to dismiss any kind of hate but then you also have to learn that you have to sort of dismiss any kind of love in the same way. And you, this is why it has to be work-driven because it has to just be about I'm making this thing and then you, it's just whether or not I'm just I'm doing this job and I, I made this, here you go. And then obviously people can't always like it. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of just accept that. Social media has changed it so that the people who dislike it now dislike it on your doorstep. Um, and to you, which is a, makes it a lot harder, especially if you've pulled yeah. your heart into something, really worked hard on something. I mean, what you said in what you said earlier is interesting as well. Is you said when people recognise you, they're all, pretty much they're always positive towards you. Whereas social media gives them this forum where people feel the need or feel able to abuse people because there's a an invisibility wall. Yeah, I think when people don't like you, if they recognise you, they just point you out to their mate and just go, "Is oh, that fucking twat?" They don't come up, and you might overhear that, but they don't come up to you and go, oh, you're that dickhead, I hate you. And that's happened? You've overheard that happen about you? I, 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 used, to, I used to hear that a lot when we did Spurred I On. Think I think the only things I can think of are football, but mm. maybe in those days, not really since. Yeah. Actually, weirdly, doing the other football show changed people's minds. Yeah. <laughs> People who uh, really for, like that. For those for those many of you who won't have seen these, we uh, so with Spurred On, we did stuff, uh, weekly um, videos about Spurs. And then we did uh, a, an overarching football fan channel and re- presented a, a, a show called Top 10 Football Fuck-Ups, which became very, very successful and got hundreds of thousands of views every episode. Yeah. Um, which kept me in a job and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, exponentially yeah. raised your price uh, as we went along. <laughs> year, uh, I, tried, I tried to accept an annual yearly pay rise for Reese if I could. <laughs> but I lost him in the end when he became far too successful. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That, to be honest, that it just became too much work. Because yeah. I was writing a 12-minute video yeah. full of jokes yeah. every week. That is mad to think that you were, and it's that like, we managed to get that out of you, to be And honest. I was like, because, well, to be honest, it didn't need to be that long. It's just that I can't not write that like that. I could have phoned that in more, and there would have been some weeks where I'd have been like, yeah. oh, mate, I'm so busy. I, I just can't. Because it takes eight, it took, it was a full day yeah, yeah. every week, which yeah. I know sounds like nothing. But it was sometimes it was fucking hard to try and make jokes about the one of the top ten fuck ups that was a piece no, of shit. I, I, look, but that's not anyway. From from the producer from the producer point of view, uh, we I was fully aware how lucky we were for the amount of work we were getting out of you for the money that we were able to pay you, and I you know I would fight harder with the money people to try and make that better but i knew that eventually it would i knew eventually we'd lose you but anyway for those of you uh, who don't know what we're talking about haven't do uh youtube top 10 football no, right. with reese because actually it's some that, fucking so amazing that, amazing comedy for in what, a football context now is. if i'm recognized it's um people bring that up mm. back in the spurs days i think i would get occasionally pointed out at spurs matches from spurs fans who didn't like the fact the channel existed yeah uh and i'd maybe overhear things but not too much but um no, it, so, you're right. So social media, yeah, you get you get this thing of anonymity if you want. There's no consequences really yeah. to having to go at someone on social media. And I'm not saying this like I'm above all this, not like I haven't in the past probably tweeted about things being shit, whether if I've done it at someone or not. But yeah. you've got to understand that people in this sort of line of work want to search their name anyway. So they and will get upset at what they see, which is something they shouldn't do. Dimitri Martin, for example, who you just mentioned, uh, said that he stopped years ago. I remember reading that he was like, oh, I don't look at my mentions on Twitter because that is the same as Googling yourself. Mm. And there's nothing good that can come from it. So he doesn't even, he doesn't even look at the way people are interacting. Yeah. He just posts things and then, right, I believe in it, goodbye. 
That's a really smart move because you talking about that. It's just made me think how similar, you know, if you were, uh, you know, if I were famous or you know in public eye, how similar the idea of looking at my Twitter mentions or googling myself would be to that feeling where you feel like you're in, if you're in a relationship and you were to go through their text messages or mm. their emails, the reality of it being you would always just find something whether it was there or not or that you would you would find an angle in something whether it yeah, was there or not. Yeah, if you're looking not. through someone's text, you're going in paranoid. So yeah. you are look. yeah, you, it's confirmation bias, isn't it? To try mm. and find something that matches up to what you're hunting for. And maybe searching your own name is the same thing. But you do. Maybe it's the same thing. Do you? Not as much as I used to. <laughs> I used to do it more. Um, and so, I used to do it more. And uh, I think there was a couple of bad experiences that made me just go, what, what am I doing? This makes me so unhappy. Yeah. Sometimes it makes me happy. Yeah. But not enough. It's the same. It's the old thing, isn't it? Of um, Comedians will look at an audience and yeah. who'll be clapping and see the one person frowning. Yeah. Uh, it's the exact same thing if you search. Well, I mean, to be honest, the most brutal thing is when you search stuff and there's nothing. <laughs> that's, the <laughs> most, that's the most brutal thing. So I just don't look anymore because that's my biggest fear. And in terms of, uh, good word to use, fear, um, in terms of the idea, let's assume that you are going to keep growing as you are now as a performer and in terms of getting um, public exposure and stuff like that and potentially become more famous, I think it's I think it's very, very likely. How do you think you will deal with the negativity that will come from that? I mean, you said you said you think you'd, you, you find it difficult or it's very poor, but do you think you have... Um, a thick enough skin to deal with that if it were to get really bad for instance just bring it back to the initial question yeah. obviously Caroline Flack it's been shown has gone through so much abuse yeah. had gone through so much abuse and um, you know the press basically picked at her like vultures if you were to go through a situation because you were famous where that would start to happen do you feel like you're equipped to deal with that or would you need to find new ways to do it I, I can't I find it very difficult to fathom anyone receiving the kind of level of stuff that she did. Hmm. So it's so hard to hypothesize and wrap my head around something like that because it was absolutely obscene. Um, I don't think right now I would necessarily be equipped to deal with that. But I don't, I don't know. That's, I mean, in, the, in theory, that's what things like therapy are for. Hmm. Uh, but you kind of need to start before it all happens yeah. so that you have the necessary skills, you've learned the necessary skills of sort of your own mental health. Are you alluding to the fact health. that you've never started having therapy recently? No, I, um, the amount of therapists I've approached and then not gone through with going to therapy is absurd. And there is one now that I was like, oh, that's really close to my house. I'll just go there. And uh, now that person is ghosting me. I'm trying to book a thing and I can't, <laughs> they're not replying to my emails. Um, I'm pretty sure that therapist ghosting potential clients is a really bad form for a therapist. It's a, I think it's a company. So right. I think I've, in the end, I must have just emailed info at therapy.com. <laughs> and they're like, mate, that's not an email address. So I'll just go in. But um, I mean, I should say from personal experience, so I've seen a couple of therapists, but my last one was very similar situation where it was like, oh, I found one that is a 20 minute walk from my house. Mm. And so began a relationship with this therapist. And then, I mean, it re actually really reminded me of when I used to do stand up because on a day where I had a gig or a couple of gigs, I could think of a thousand reasons not to turn up. Yeah, I could think of a thousand reasons. And the reality of it for me was always, I didn't want to be there until the moment my name was announced. And then I felt fine when I was on stage, right? But with and but similar with therapy, it's like that morning I would come and in the end, I maybe 
oof, this is probably a bit too honest, but you know, I I would lie to the therapist about why I couldn't go that day, and I'd end up paying him for therapy sessions I didn't go to. Yeah. I feel like I might do the same thing. I mean, clearly I'm doing that now, but without getting to the uh, Payment financial <laughs> responsibility of it, yeah. I wonder if that's common. I've never actually talked about that with anyone. But ironically, the person I should talk about it with is my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too busy not turning up. But... It's really, I find. I think it's it's too hard to find a therapist. It's really hard to understand how that process begins. I think that, uh, genuinely, I would have done this years ago, but every mm. time I go to look it up, it's like, how, what the fuck am I doing here? I think... And they always come up with a little bio and a picture when you're looking for an individual one. Yep. And now, because I haven't had therapy, I'm judging all these pictures. Mm. Going, you won't know what to, what to say. No, yeah. <laughs> I think like, recommendations from people... Yeah, that's probably, what I need. It's probably good. But and, I think people feel uncomfortable with that. Sorry, I know it's not mental health No, no, health no, no, no. It's, I think it's really, really it's interesting, a chat, But it's um, people feel uncomfortable with the idea of that. It's a taboo thing in this country, the idea of going to therapy anyway. So asking someone, can I can you recommend a therapist? It's, like, it's different if you're a comedian or a performer because everyone's so fucking open about this stuff and talks yeah. about this sort of stuff all the time. But when you're not in this sort of industry and you do realise, fuck, I could really do with doing yeah. that, how do you possibly go? I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like this is especially like, it kind of um, relates to those things people always say about, you know, the highest su suicide rates among men is because men find it impossible to sure. uh, to ask these questions of other people. So having these conversations, you know, even if, you know, opening up and having conversations in our instance as men, I think is important. But, um, Hopefully that stuff becomes easier as more people talk about it. But yeah, of course, it's really, really difficult. Hi, completely hypothetically, with that sort of level of uh, me being followed around and spoken about in a certain way to happen now, mm. I, th I think I'd very, very much struggle to deal with that. Okay, so um, moving on to lighter, more, more Reese James-based <laughs> uh, things. Do you feel there's any difference between who you are now having had some kind of exposure, fame, dare I say it, to who Reese James was before, or the almost famous Reese James? Well, do you mean that before I started doing stand-up or before I started being in any way recognised for it? I think before your stand-up enabled you to be recognised on a more national level. I think, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think there is a difference. I think I'm far more chilled out. <laughs> There's something about um, being a comedian. Maybe this isn't true of just being a comedian. It's true of everything where you're just like, you're so, you're working so hard. You're trying so hard. And the only metric of whether or not it's going well is if people like it and if more people then like it and more people than that like it. And you have to, you feel like you have to grow every year and improve every year up until a point, I imagine. Mm -hmm. But so it was always just like, you're just trying to get the next thing so much and you, it doesn't matter if this goes well because it has to lead to that. So it's like, yes, admittedly, fine, I wrote this thing, I'm really proud of it and these people came and saw it and they liked it and they bought tickets and they laughed. But it's like, yeah, but who did you get in who can put me on a thing that can mean that more of them come next time? And it's such a horrible way of looking at anything and it means you never enjoy a single moment in yeah. your career. Uh, but getting to a certain level where you feel like you've got a little bit of backing or whatever and you're just a little bit like, right, okay, I don't have to keep go pulling my hair out going insane. Is that about stability? I, I th a little bit. It's a bit... Nothing chills you out like selling tickets on tour, all right? Because then you're just like, okay, that's what, it's been that's what I've been building towards for 10 years yeah. is doing a tour where people turn up and it's just me. Thank fuck for that. Because I've been trying, so, you've been trying so hard to make the stuff good enough that people will like it. But you can only do what you do anyway. So it's just, it's, it is 
as much as it's you've got to work hard and all this, there's still a coincidental element to it as well, which is, well, do you happen to have a thing that matches up with what people want at the time? Um, or enough people want at the time, not what people want at the time. But so, yeah, there's definitely, uh, it's massively relaxed me. Give it, it gave, It's given me more confidence in what I do. Um, it made, it what it meant is that I could take a year off doing the system of going to Edinburgh every year and churning out a new hour every year, which is a bit of a fucking clock that just happens. Mm. Where you're as part of this f- constant cyclical thing where actually what I found is, yes, at first I was improving year on year and going back and building an audience, but then the lo- last one before I stopped, I was like, I'm not improving. This isn't better. I-, I was a better performer, so I was only improving in one aspect. I think that was it. So I was a better performer, but the, the stuff I was saying wasn't, as good or interesting because I was just like I'm fucking running on empty I've not had any life experiences because I'm just fucking writing material all the time it's all I do Mm. I don't do anything I just write material go to Edinburgh come home spend a week not working write material go to Edinburgh just do that it's like what am I gonna you end up writing about comedy and that's the last thing that people want to see so and that you should be talking about so not going what it did is I got a few things a few bits and bobs of telly or whatever that meant okay there's a bit of stability there and these are booked in for next year mm. I'm not going to go for this year and then I intentionally didn't write stand up I didn't we didn't try and write stand up that pretty much year obviously I then came to do a work in progress a year later and I had an hour's worth of ideas that over the year I just put yeah. in my phone or written yeah. down somewhere yeah. and I turned it into a show later on but it changed my writing process enormously which made me an infinitely better comedian because I just was like, okay, you you just don't have to keep rushing. It's like that, what's that drum film? It felt like rushing and dragging. Uh, It felt like a whiplash. It felt like whiplash where it's just like, every time you write material, it's like, yeah, sure. You've written material, it all works. But what could this have been if you didn't have a deadline? Why have you got a deadline? All you're trying to do is be funny. What's this deadline on it? But... So what I found is this show I'm touring now, there's loads of routines in it. They're like 12 minutes. I used to be a one-liner comic, essentially. Not quite a one-liner comic, but very bitty, very pieced together bits. At most, I'd have a bit that would be five minutes. And that was like, wow, God, that's a real chunk. The rest of it would be, you know, 90 seconds kind of thing, maybe two minute ideas. Now there's like a routine in my show that's like, is a tiny idea that goes on for 12 minutes. And the whole point of the bit is, look how much I got out of that. Because I was just like, well, I've got ages. I'll just keep adding to it and then go on stage. I thought of a new thing on yeah. stage and all that. And it's really satisfying and it just changed my writing process. And then you just also just like, if you take a back seat and just watch stuff again and remember why you loved comedy, you can realize, you know, you don't have to do things how you've been doing them this whole yeah. time just because that's how you built this audience or whatever. And you feel like this change in process has affected your voice on stage and the stuff you're talking about and because you've talked a bit before about how uh, you don't really feel like you have anything to say or you didn't at that point feel like you have yeah. anything to say. As you're getting older and this is evolving, you're feeling more confident that you well, do? When I would or talk do you about, care more or not? Well, to be honest, when I would talk about not having anything to say, that was what I had to say. <laughs> so that's a trick. That's me going, right. this This is my thing. This is what I'm going to... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't really feel like I had nothing to say. That was me saying... That was a comment on people of my demographic should shut the fuck up, I think. Um, and may I say, a long time before that was a popular opinion and has now become an unpopular opinion. <laughs> but um, All because of you, of course. And it's all because of me. But I, I don't see myself as famous. I popularised <laughs> and then unpopularised that opinion. It's all thanks to me and that show that was seen by about 60 people. But uh, 
yeah, to be honest, now I'm sort of like, well, who gives a shit? It's stand-up comedy. No one's got anything to say. I don't want, I want to hear someone who's got something to say. I'm trying to watch a comedy show. It's right. funny, for fuck's sake. So now, I don't know. I've always sort of had that opinion anyway. I was just trying to be funny, yeah. but use that. But now I would never do a bit like that. And that, yeah, it's more like, to be honest, that was the point of the radio show that we talked about at the start was, okay, how do I use this in a more direct way than just talking about, oh, I don't have anything to say. Okay, but what's the natural progression of that idea Yeah, is to just, okay, fine, let's just say loads of stuff then. Who cares? No one has anything to say. Everyone's a rent a voice, really. Who, what, we're listening to all these maniacs now yeah. on every side of things and just going, oh yeah, and, and tweets are on the news. <laughs> that was true. the beginning of the end. Uh, You're it, basically responsible for Twitter as well, I should say. <laughs> I wish. You were very you were very much one of the early uh, Twitter one-liner comedians. Back sure. when that was possible. Yeah. But Back when, when people Twitter retweeted. Was a, Twitter was a joke website at one point. Yeah. It was just an online joke book. Not anymore. No. Opinion bin. I preferred it. I preferred it when it was a, a joke So much website. better. You could, yeah, yeah. No one cares anymore about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess going into what you were saying, though, is there are... Surely there's, you know, that's your opinion, but there's room for political comics. There's room for com- comics who oh, don't absolutely. give a shit. There's room for... Oh, I'm not saying... And political yeah. comics are funny. They're being funny. But so many of the political comics actually are just fucking around. They're just, be- they're just being hilarious. Yeah. But they're just using this as a backdrop. And I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, be political. I mean, everyone needs to be principled, whether they're political or not. And you, and, but you're... I mean, it's an act. The whole thing's an act. So you can go on and pretend to be someone who isn't principled. Mm. And that is unique because everyone is principled. So that does make you unique. So I think that's probably what I was trying to do yeah. at the time. But in by but by claiming to not be principled, you are being principled, which is the paradox of it. Yeah. Because that is a principle of, why would I care about anything? Um, but it was quite a teenage idea. Don't you know, none of this matters. We all just die. Yeah. Mum. It was quite an idea like that, I think. But... um it would be interesting. Yeah, there's definitely to... room for all this stuff, but I'd, yeah, it's like like what I used to say is I'm not the guy to say it. Yeah, I back myself more to say it yeah. now. Well, because you've, you've you've also talked about a lot about your white middle class privilege and maybe yeah, not yeah, yeah. having experienced enough things to be able to talk about them. Do you think as you get older and you know as life happens and things will happen to you undoubtedly that will cause pain more pain mm. than maybe you know who knows maybe there maybe that that's i kind of brought this up a bit before we started but you know maybe there's a whole side to reese james that we don't know or see because that's what you don't want to show people but maybe that'll change over time and we will open out and show people more on stage or do you just think you're yeah smoking? No, maybe not <laughs> no, i think that happens more and more every year certainly this the, the latest thing i'm doing is definitely it's not that it's definitely not that, but it's closer to that than it's ever been before. Yeah, uh, there's more pers- It's more personal than other stuff. But does that does that come easily to you in terms of writing that stuff, or easier than it did? Writing it's not the problem. It's making audiences like it is the hard bit. Right. Writing it's easy. Writing anything, writing all of the stuff. The the writing process is my favorite bit. Always has been, which does worry me. Mm. Um, there's days where. When I was writing this show, the best days were the days when I was like, oh, I've, all I've got to do today is write and then I don't have to do a gig. And those are the days I write the best. When I've got a gig in the evening, I can't yeah. write nearly as well because I'm just thinking about that and just going like, well, I can't learn all of this by then. I can't well, I can't figure out how to say all of this by then. So this is a waste of time. Yeah. I need to just focus on one thing and I just look, get so anxious and lose my mind doing that. If and, it's just a day where it's, oh, you're just writing. And you'll put the pressure on yourself to say to yourself, I'm going to write this today and I'm going to try it tonight. Uh... Yeah, if it's like I've got a work in progress show that night or a preview, then it's like, well, don't waste it. Yeah. Don't do the old bit. You've just made it better. 
or you've just written a new better bit. So there's no point going on and just doing that shit. Yeah. Or you're never moving forwards. But yeah, it does just mean like, oh, I'm going to go on and do it. I just wrote it. Oh, I've lost confidence because it was shit because I didn't say it well. Mm. I'll never say it again. So you do have to be a bit disciplined with that sort of stuff. But uh, the writing of it, even with personal stuff, is like, uh, as with my podcast, I've been writing this shit for fucking ages, personal stuff. Yeah. Personal stuff, yeah. and writing about my feelings, not a problem. <laughs> making it accessible. That's the podcast, is me making that stuff accessible by saying, wasn't I a twat? Yeah, <laughs> but if you want to make it accessible, this is how I feel now in the moment. I don't really have much experience of doing that. I don't know how skilled I'd be at doing that yet. I'd hope to be eventually. And talking about personal stuff, do you feel in any way that um, how your life has changed from being in the public eye on television, things like that? Do you feel like that's affected your personal relationships in any way? How you how you've changed as a person and therefore treated other people, be that girlfriends, friends parents uh yeah are you asking me if i think it's weird that my girlfriend is my chauffeur (laughs) um (laughs) yes that's exactly what i was asking i mean actually i was joking there but in a sense she is because i don't have a driving license and sometimes she'll drive me to festival gigs how the fuck do you not have a driving license um don't need one mate world famous (laughs) i'm a global megastar you're prepping for your Uh, your world fame i never just never got one i'm sort of scared of driving i think yeah. Anyways, it's a separate conversation. I mean, but but joking aside, you brought up your girlfriend. I find, you know, may, uh, men who get some semblance of public exposure or fame often, not you know, there are plenty of examples of men who've gone down that route and made it then about you know trying to chase women, be mm. in the in nightclubs, uh, you know, China whites, whatever. Um, sleep with celebrity people, stuff like that. You, as far as I can tell, have just made the decision to then move in with your long-term girlfriend, mm. uh, having you know become slightly famous. Is it? It feels like it basically doesn't really affect you in the way that it that it has affected other people. Although you did say you think it has, you know, you, it might have changed the way you act in personal relationships a bit. I don't know. I feel like you're about to say something. I don't know. I, I just think it's maybe it's. Going back to the point of making me more chilled out in the work. Mm. Oh, that's improved things. I think that potentially helps in your life where you just go like, you're not constantly on edge, desperately trying, desperate and desperately trying because I realized I tried to cover up calling myself desperate. No, 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 that's fair enough. (laughs) Desperately trying to just make something happen and get something off the ground. I mean, those sorts of things do still exist, those sorts of moments, because as I say, you're still looking for the next step every yeah. single time and you can't enjoy anything. But because there's something there already, there's some acknowledgement of like, this is a possibility. You just chill out a bit more and then you can just you just dedicate, you can just give more time to that person. And you just like, you're just better in yourself. You're just sort of more confident in yourself. Yeah. But I think that's a growing up thing as well. So this happens to be, I'm 28. So like your early 20s to 28 is worlds apart with who you are as a person. But that's another problem with starting comedy young is that I don't know who I am because it, I don't know what's an act and what isn't. Because I started doing comedy when I was 17. You obviously don't know who you are at 17. Yeah. You don't really know who you are at 28. But all I know is in that time where most people are finding out who they are, I've been pretending to be someone else. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, who the fuck am I? Am I, the, am I this person on stage who I now am a bit off stage? Or right. did I just make all of this up? Right. But then you think about it and you go, well, every personality is made up. In answer to your question... Well, what you are is a self-aware overanalyzer. 
Yeah, clearly. sure, yeah, or yeah. analyzer, maybe overanalyzer is unfair. But that's something I'd say, you know, I agree with the fact that I'm not sure you ever, I'd say I'm not sure anyone ever knows who they are completely, yeah. but you know you're those things. Whereas I think potentially a non... I know I'm wondering, <laughs> but I'm wondering specifically with, is this, was this all an act? Because it always had to be an act because all I cared about my whole life was this. Mm. Uh, so then you do get confused by that. But relationship-wise, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never... Uh, I like that you put a positive spin on how it's affected your relationship. The, uh, that, bizarrely, that's not what... Don't get her on the podcast, because she might say something else. <laughs> I saw you do a thing where you phoned her up as... Uh, what was it? like? Was it like an ad for something? A little bit of branded do? content. Branded Matt, content, yeah. yeah. But it was um, funny. Was it? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, yeah, what was I, it that happened in that? You, you called up your mum and your girlfriend and you had to say things. to be really honest. Yeah. So I phoned up some people. So I phoned up my mum and told her about when I once gave her a compliment by yeah. mistake because um, I couldn't think of the word. I thought she reacted brilliantly in that. Was that set up? She, I phoned her and said, I'm about to phone you and say, oh, you need to be available. I'm about to phone you and say something. It's for this thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Mm. And then so she hadn't heard that before. But then she did text me immediately saying, is that true? So it was basically, I went to say to her, you're pretty resilient. But when I was like 15 or 13 or something, but I couldn't think of the word resilient. So I just went, you're pretty. And then she went, thank you. And I just said, no worries. <laughs> and I've thought about it every day since. It's like, oh, she thinks I was calling her pretty and I wasn't. I was about to say you're pretty resilient, which is also a compliment. But it's a very, very different compliment. A much deeper, more intelligent compliment for a 13 or 10 year old. Precious little it was. shit. That's yeah. The whole vibe. Precocious, yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought she, the way she reacted was inherently funny as well. Like it's, I think some, some humor comes from your mum, maybe. And that's why I'm almost famous, surely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no, I like the fact that you put a positive spin but on that. No, how... in terms of, uh, I, I've never, it's never appealed to, I hate nightclubs and stuff like that. That sort of stuff never appealed to me. No. I'm not very good at that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, my girlfriend happens to be great. <laughs> Happens to be. Oh, the positive spin is a lovely thing. Uh, I'm not sure necessarily we'll get positive spins from everyone on that, but it could be. Could be. I don't know. Um, let's do some quick fiery type stuff. See if you can come out with the first thing that comes in uh, into your head. What's the best thing about being famous? We're, we're, we're going sorry, with, quick fire. We're going with the we're going with the fact that we think you may not think you're famous, but I think you're famous. So what's the best thing about being famous? Uh, yeah. Occasional free stuff, such as clothes from Parles. <laughs> it's a brand Bristol based brand and, gave me some clothes and they do that because then you'll wear them on TV and I don't think so I, to be honest I don't know because I can't wear them you can't wear anything on Mock of the Week that's got a logo on it yeah. so um, and I'm only really on that I'm basically I'm mostly on the BBC and you can't wear logo stuff on the BBC yeah. so uh, don't know do you still wear one of your two shirts <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I've got I've got a third one now actually <laughs> uh, okay and the worst thing about it uh, genuinely it's people staring at you in a threatening way sometimes mm. just just lately more that's been getting to me a bit making me feel nervous I think maybe I've actually need to go to therapy because I need to diagnose some anxiety as has come out in this podcast yeah. but it's like the lately it's just been felt a bit more threatening than it used to no I totally I mean I don't understand it in the same way but I know what it's like to be stared at threateningly and just wonder whether you're going to get punched yeah, any minute yeah just going like what, what actually going the on? last time that happened to me was I mean I feel like our default setting is to go back to football, but was I was watching a football match in a pub, Spurs versus Man City. I think, you know, naturally I was cheering if they missed a chance or we had a chance, which is probably unlikely, but then looked across at another table and there was a couple of guys staring at me and I was just, I was with my girlfriend at the time and I was like, I think we need to leave. And she's like, why? And I was like, look over there. She's like, no, they're not. <laughs> so, oh, right. And it's like that feeling where you're so paranoid yeah. that you can't tell anymore whether you're just being completely mad or you just know better because you've been in those experiences before. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. I'm trying to point it out and then just being like, I don't know, 
what's yeah. going on here. Uh, do you remember the first time you were recognised? No, I remember the first time it felt significant. Okay. Uh, I was recognised on holiday. Yeah, let's hear it. I was just, I was in, uh, where was I? <laughs> Quickly, think of somewhere that sounds Mykonos. Good. No, that's more like it. I was in the celeb hotspot Mykonos with Kim K. Uh, I was in Mykonos with my girlfriend and then we were just in some restaurant and some guys were just like, are you Rhys James? And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, it was a time where I wasn't really being, that didn't happen very yeah. often. Like, once every six months that would happen and then it happened in Mykonos and I was like, Jesus, we've gone, that's why I'm a global celeb. And how did your girlfriend react? Was she like... Furious. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely furious. <laughs> Um, but then it's weird where, like if that happens when I'm with her she'll be furious but then like later on when she's retelling it it'll be like oh my god this is amazing but at the moment she'll be like "Ugh, you're such a dick if I'm there then it's like because I'll look at her like <laughs> uh, and who's the most famous person in your phone Reese? Um, it's probably not very it's anyone very famous probably we did one with Ralph Little and he said Adele Wow. But worryingly, he literally did the same thing. He's like, I'm not really sure. Looked through his phone, was just in the A's. I said, well, Adele. Can I look through? Yeah, of course. Look through and I'll ask... He's in the A's. (laughs) I'll ask this uh, other question, which I think... um, Just this and then one more and then we're done. Um, I've worked with quite a few famous people, really successful people, who I would deem to have got to the stage where nobody says no to them anymore. Like, they have only yes men around them. So, for instance, I worked with someone who was on a TV format and they would spout ideas all the time and the producer wouldn't say if they were a bad idea. If that Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever feel like that's happened to you? Or if it got to the stage where it did, how do you think you'd, you'd deal with I that? I think that's more rare in comedy than other things because you're fre- you hang out with comedians and comedians are desperate to call you a prick. <laughs> I think if you look in America, if you look at like the top level of comics, there are so many comedians desperate to say no to Jerry Seinfeld. Say, that's fucking shit, mate. Or whatever, because that's what comedians are like. Yeah. So I think in comedy that's quite rare. I can't imagine that being the case. I think it happens if you end up with an entourage. There's nothing to do with like the industry you're in. Then fine. Yeah. Um, and stuff with like, wouldn't it? <laughs> and what about stuff with like your agent, your representatives, and stuff like that? Do you do you get do you feel like confident you're getting good, honest feedback from those people? No, I argue all the time, Dis- disagree all the time about what I like things. I'm occasionally, very occasionally things I'm offered that one of us thinks I should do and one doesn't or things that I'm just like, oh, we should try and do this. Yeah. No, fuck that kind of thing. Yeah, those arguments all the time. If it would just be like, yeah, cool, whatever you want, then fine. I mean, to be honest, I trust my judgment. Yeah. But it is good to have someone giving you the other opinion. The overriding thing for me that comes out of this conversation with you is that you are... um, not only are you still very down to earth and grounded, but I kind of feel like if you became, because we've used his example before, uh, a level of fame that Rob Beckett has, I still feel confident that we'd be able to have the same conversation. I feel like there's something probably to do with your your white male privilege that makes you feel that... You can say anything. <laughs> I, I feel like you're, you're pretty grounded and probably will remain so. Um, the last question which we ask everyone is, knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give up fame if you had the chance would you give up your public exposure if you had the chance I think you're going to say no I don't understand the, I don't really understand the question I don't think because well I think the question is if so I don't, if you had spent the last hour talking negatively about how awful it is then I think it's likely you might say if I if I could have all the same you know success with my work if I could have all how, the same how can that exist well I don't think you have to necessarily go into it that deeply I know yeah uh, so okay so it's just like in a world 
in a world where you can be a successful public figure without being famous without being a public figure <laughs> would you rather that which yeah. means that you people still come to my shows essentially what you're saying is people still come to your shows but people won't stare at you in the street anymore yeah yes <laughs> yes you would change it yes I would do that yeah so in essence you just don't like the staring and the paranoia no but to be honest I, d- I like the praise I okay. do like the praise and I've given you around three minutes to look sorry, through your yeah, phone sorry yeah I'm only on K um, there's someone in mind who probably is. Just say it. I think it's Jack Whitehall, probably, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite boring that he's a comedian. Jamie Lang, there you go. I'll, I'll have Jamie Lang. Jamie Lang from... Uh, he's not as famous old... as Jack Whitehall, probably, but uh, I just... I didn't want to say a comedian. It's too boring. Oh, Tom Hanks. What? No, nah, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> At Hanks? I can't believe it. Yeah. Reese, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we've done a bit of plug- plugging, but would you like to do some plugging now? Where can they find your podcast, for instance, and, and buy tickets for your tour? Sure. Podcast, just early work. Mm-hmm. So early work with Reese James. Search it wherever you get your podcast. Wherever you got this one, yeah. Um, tour reesejames.co.uk. When does this come out? Probably in the next couple of weeks. There's going to be an extension to it. I think it's mostly sold out. At Is the this moment. big exclusive news for the almost famous podcast? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, it's pretty much sold out. I think so. There's, we're going to extend it, and we're doing some rooms that are too big for the level of fame. So please come. <laughs> to those doing some theatres in Le- like Leeds and Manchester and all sorts of places Norwich uh, so <laughs> please come to those the other dates ironically you did your best Duncan. Alan Partridge impression Norwich. while saying Norwich yeah. so you well can't done. not no you can't you can't uh, thank you so much for coming on the show did you enjoy it I hope you enjoyed it I hope some of it made sense I enjoyed it but um, as ever when I do these sorts of things I will you'll <laughs> I'm going to say you've got to cut all of this I can't have this no um, I don't actually I've never um, stood by anything I've said ever so I will okay. almost definitely by the time this comes out completely disagree with everything I've said a, a caveat I like that a, a post this is why I don't this, I, this, I don't do a lot of serious chat podcasts because I don't think anything so I just go fucking get rid of it yeah but I feel like you I mean t- we're getting away from our outro here but I feel like that's almost like I feel like that's um a wall that you've put up over the years that covers you, but you do you do feel you do have strong opinions. But you can come hear me, you can hear me in some of the answers tying myself in knots as I say every point on that's the just topic. The, no, that's the human condition of someone who's an analyzer. I think. Fine, put it put it out raw. <laughs> Um, Reese, thanks again for coming on guys please do press that subscribe button on Almost Famous rate the podcast leave us a comment too Reese, at the end of one of his episodes said uh, leave us a comment if you like it don't leave us a comment if you don't I disagree leave us a comment I don't care uh, whether you like it or not I just want to get up that sweet sweet algorithm I said five stars minimum on my one <laughs> well five stars would be great thank you uh, find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous and until next time thank you for listening Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.